This is Recorded Future, Inside Security Intelligence. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 202 of the Recorded Future podcast. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire. For this week's show, we welcome back Alan Liska, a member of Recorded Future's CCERT security team. Alan updates us on the latest trends he and his colleagues are tracking on the ransomware and online extortion fronts. We discuss the growing sophistication of the tools and tactics attackers are using and the remarkable brazenness with which they do their business. Stay with us. We're going to be talking about uh, ransomware today, as we often do, and some of the things that you're tracking. Before we do, though, for folks who uh, may be new to the show and don't know you so well, even though I think at this point you are our returning champion, um, <laughs> how uh, can you give us a little insight onto the, the work you do there at Recorded Future? Uh, yeah, so uh, I am actually part of the Recorded Future CSER team, so I'm part of the security team. But I also, let's say, moonlight as an analyst at Recorded Future. So I do a lot of research around ransomware, ransomware attacks, and other sort of cyber criminal activities. Uh, some of that tied into the CSERT work. Others is just, uh, let's say, a morbid fascination with the topic. <laughs> Fair enough. And I think it's worth pointing out, too, that, you know, we say, well, so-and-so wrote the book on something. You actually have written a book on ransomware, which is is available. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. So I co-authored a book with uh, Tim Gallo, who works over at FireEye, uh, several years ago, back in the sort of na- nation uh, stage phase uh, of the current types of ransomware attacks in 2015 and 16. But uh, I, you know, in addition to that, many, many articles, many reports on ransomware. Well, let's dig into it then today. I mean, there was a, a recent uh, article uh, over on The Record, which uh, is uh, Recorded Futures News Organization. Uh, your colleague Adam Janowski wrote, uh, and his title, Double Extortion is Becoming Ransomware's New Normal can you give us a little bit of the backstory here about uh, the the history of how we got to this point where we're seeing this tactic from the ransomware folks? Yeah, so it's interesting in that you know for years and years we we as the security community have been beating it in people's heads, hey, you need to do backups in order to protect yourself from ransomware. Uh, and they can't just be backups sitting on your network because the ransomware actors will find those and they will encrypt them. Um, and, and, and what I think started to happen is it started to sink in, in that more people were doing this, which meant fewer people were paying the ransom. Uh, so starting in 2019 and bleeding over into 2020 and 21, uh, what we saw were ransomware actors would set up what we call extortion sites. They would not only encrypt files, as part of uh, their their action, as part of their ransomware deployment, they would actually steal some of the files before encrypting them. And then if you didn't pay the ransom to unencrypt your files, they would upload those stolen files to these extortion sites. And it's been fascinating watching the history of this. So one of the earliest company, uh, one of the earliest uh, threat groups to do this was the Maze Threat Group, and they initially hosted their ransomware site 
uh, on a hosting provider in Ireland. Well, that didn't last very long um, because uh, the law got involved and it not only shut them down, but wound up shutting down the entire hosting provider. So hmm. ransomware actors have had to move to uh, uh, bulletproof hosting and other sources in order to, to host those sites in a way that they can't be easily uh, easily taken down by law enforcement. Can can you take us through the, the evolution here? Because I think um, you know, simultaneous to this, we've also seen ransomware shift to being much more targeted uh, and aiming for higher value targets. Is it is that coincidental, or or do the two kind of go hand in hand? Yeah, the the two go hand in hand. I mean, so what we what we've seen is. A up until the fourth quarter of last year, what we saw was a steady rise not only in ransom demands but in ransom payments. So ransom payments would go up, you know, twenty, thirty percent each quarter. Um, and and you know, if you look at you know Proofpoint or Coveware or other companies to track these, you see a steady rise in ransom uh, payments because ransomware actors are are getting better at what they do and they're going after bigger and and bigger targets. Um, in the fourth quarter, we actually saw ransom payments dropped off, and there's kind of a variety of reasons for that. But that means that when the ransomware actors are in hands-on keyboard mode, when they're in there de- before they deploy the ransomware, stealing the files, there's more and more sensitive files to steal uh, because, again, you're dealing with larger organizations. And so because of that... Um, the, there was a better treasure trove of going after these uh, uh, of going after these organizations. A better tre- treasure trove of files to steal. Can you take me through the the difference in the sophistication of of what it takes to pull this off? You know, being able to uh, run the type of ransomware campaign that we saw in the early days versus the the greater scope of of capability capabilities that they're showing today. So what's interesting is the rans- the, the most of the ransomware actors don't actually need to be more sophisticated than in the early days. So you and I have used this analogy before. If you go back to 2015 and 16, uh, the types of ransomware attacks were kind of smash and grab attacks, like knocking over a liquor store, no planning mm-hmm. involved. You distribute widely, you hit as many people as you can, and uh, you know, and you land on that one machine and encrypt it, and then you're done. These these type of ransomware attacks take a little more planning, but the thing is, the ransomware actors have access to more sophisticated tools, and the more sophisticated ransomware actors have scripted out what needs to be done, and so the less sophisticated actors, often the affiliates for the ransomware as a service programs just rely on those scripts. So we'll often see really kind of mismatched things where they're using these really sophisticated tools, but the more novice actors won't necessarily know once they're in their network to grab, so they'll just grab files willy-nilly, and that can actually work against some of the extortion sites um, because uh, they'll publish files and the, the, the companies go, okay, great, you published those files, we don't care. Um, other times with some of the more sophisticated actors or if they, the affiliates get lucky, they'll actually take things that the, uh, that, that the company cares about. But, but it is that, that dichotomy definitely exists between having really sophisticated tools, 
but often not having the knowledge to know what you're looking for. Isn't it sort of by necessity a noisier process, though? I mean, I'm imagining to be able to get into someone's network and and have the amount of persistence necessary to look around, you know, and 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 start moving files out of that network, which which I would imagine would is certainly a way to draw attention to yourself. And that's different than just starting to encrypt things. Yes, right. It, it's a much noisier process. That's why I'm a big advocate for threat hunting, um, uh, uh, looking for these telltale signs of these actors. So again, they're using the same tools across multiple different variants. So they're using Cobalt Strike, they're using AdFind, they're using Mimikatz, things that you can build threat hunting signatures for, often using the same commands, no matter which ransomware variant it is. So there are definite ways to detect them. And generally speaking, they're not subtle when they're exfiltrating the files, when they're taking files out of the network. We see this all the time where you'll see a blip in in the network traffic because they tend to work weekends. They tend to work Russian hours for some unknown reason. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I know. Um, Wow, what a mystery. Yeah, yeah, who who knows? Um, Yeah. Hmm. Um, you know, so, so the, so basically they're working off hours and they're working weekends and, you know, they're, they're sending out 500 gigs of files all at, all at once. You know, they find the file server, they, they zip things up and they shoot them out to their command and control server. Um, and, and they're generally not subtle about it. So if you're doing things right, if you're monitoring for uh, uh, network traffic, especially during off hours, if you're monitoring for your admins doing weird things, and weird things, of course, varies from network to network. That's why I can't say specifically what it is. And if mm-hmm. you're monitoring for the same tools that they're using, the same commands that they're using, you can often detect this activity. That we're not, well, again, they do have sophisticated tools. We're not always talking about sophisticated actors. Hmm. Can can you give us a, an idea of the the kind of the spectrum for ransomware as a service offerings that are out there? I mean, what are the ones that are the you know the your 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 top your your greatest hits? You know, the ones that that uh, get the most that get the most use. So it's interesting that what we're seeing is we're seeing an increase in the number of viable ransomware uh, of variants that are used um, at at any given time. So it used to be there were five or six different uh, ransomware variants that we would see at any one time. In 2020 alone, we saw a few hundred ransomware variants that were introduced. Most of them are awful. They're not, you know, we're not going to see a lot of activity out of them. But there are probably 15 that are making legitimate uh, uh, impact that that we're actually seeing them hit targets that in, in a way that is concerning. Um, so the biggest ones that we saw in 2020, uh, the biggest one by share of reported attacks is Egregor. And now Egregor was taken down earlier this year, or some of its affiliates were taken down, but that has effectively stopped uh, all Egregor attacks. So we haven't seen any new ones since the takedown, which is great news. Hmm. Um, other than that, the, the big ones that we see right now are Conti, uh, Soda Nikibi, which has been around for a couple of years now, uh, Klopp we see, uh, Ragnar Locker, 
PISA has been going after schools and governments. That's been um, uh, pretty big. Um, Mount Locker has uh, ha- has some ups and downs. Like we've seen some of them and then not seen others. Uh, so there are quite a few out there that are um, that that are currently active and engaged in this type of activity. Are those low level folks still out there who are running those you know those sort of uh, spray and pray operations of trying to just trying to to go after massive amounts of people for low dollar values? Yeah, so probably the biggest number of infections that that happens for any ransomware variant is stop deja vu that's it's, it's called stop and or called deja vu same ransomware family mm. um uh they are those prey and spray operations that is what they do um and, and there are probably you know thousands and thousands of victims that get infected by that we just don't hear a lot about that primarily because our world is primarily focused on corporate or organizational structure and they're mm. usually hitting either really, really small business or home users or something like that. I see. Now, you know, the, the advice in the early days was, of course, as you mentioned, to have uh, good backups, to have robust backups, you know, backups that were offline from your systems. And we really beat that drum for a while. Um, is there a, a similar type of defense for this exfiltration thing? I'm thinking like if you're, you know, if you're encrypting your data at rest, is that a viable solution to protecting yourself against this? Uh, so I'm a big fan of uh, encrypting data at rest. I think that's a big, uh, a, that, that goes a long way toward this. Although mm-hmm. sometimes that doesn't work um, because if they're able to get admin credentials and can log into your file server, say, and they're, you know, that automatically decrypts the files that they're accessing, mm-hmm. then that could be a problem. Um, the other thing I'll say is that sort of the, uh, extortion ecosystem has really expanded. So they're not just stealing files at this point. Um, you know, we, uh, there was a, a, an interview recently in the record with uh, Unknown, who is uh, one of the leaders of the Southern Akibi group. And one of the things they say, which we can confirm that we've seen, you know, we can corroborate as having seen happen, is they don't just uh, steal files for extortion. They will also do things like uh, call your customers. So they'll you know they'll hit a victim. Mm. Uh, victim doesn't want to pay. They'll start calling the customers and saying, "Hey, uh, you know they were hit with ransomware, um, and so uh, and so your files have probably been encrypted." Um, and, and so there's other types of extortion that they're engaged in. So yes, definitely encrypt your files. Uh, definitely monitor for large files being taken out of your network, but know also that the, that these ransomware actors are looking for other ways to engage in extortion activities. Yeah, it's interesting to me how there's almost, um, I don't know, there's kind of a whisper network as well. You know, you hear about these big incidents where, where folks uh, get hit, but then uh, you'll hear about, oh, someone's systems went down, but they, they won't necessarily confirm that it was ransomware. But kind of behind the scenes, people are saying, yeah, it's was, it was probably ransomware. Right? And I suspect, I mean, that's something that you're pretty plugged into, right? Right, absolutely. So a lot of that is bluntly, the ransomware actors themselves will reach out to press contacts. They'll, they'll reach out to Bleeping Computer and, and, and other well-known cybersecurity reporters that cover the speed and say, hey, 
We want you to know that we hit this company because they want to get that name out. That's part of that extortion process. Um, mm. uh, you know, and, and most of the reporters won't just straight up report, Hey, this happened. You know, there's some people on Twitter that, that will do that, that, you know, they'll, they'll get a note from the ransomware actors and they'll rush to publish it. But most reporters are going to do their due diligence, follow up and, 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 and actually confirm and, and so on. Um, but but that's part of that process. I mean, again, we've seen the ransomware actors uh, threaten to go to stock exchanges and let the stock exchange know in, in an mm. attempt to hurt the value of the stock price. So, you know, really, they will do anything they can in order to force payment. Do you suppose this is the, the shape of things to come here? I mean, as 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 long as this is successful, uh, are these the tactics we can expect for the foreseeable future? I think so. I think we actually saw a couple of ransomware attacks earlier this year where nobody's been able to confirm that any files were encrypted, just that files were stolen from the targets. So we don't know whether the ransomware actors just failed in their encryption and and just went ahead and released the files or what happened. And it happened with a couple of different groups. Um, so that extortion is, again, becoming much, much more important and a bigger part of the picture than even the actual encrypting of the files is. Right. Yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, you when you I guess when you're operating with that degree of brazenness, uh, you can you can put the heat on the organization from multiple directions. Uh, might we see a time when they don't even bother with the encryption? It, it could very well be. I mean, you know, the the whole DOS extortion gambit has been around for a while where you email a company and say, I'm going to hit you with a DOS attack unless you uh, give me money. Now, most of those are empty threats, um, but we know that the bad guys like extortion because it's less work for them. I mean, if you can just steal files and publish those and not have to worry about, you know, giving an encryptor and maybe that encryptor doesn't work and maybe they don't know how to use it and, and all this other stuff, you're just saving your time, your, yourself time and energy. Um, you know, again, not that it's a great thing, but uh, it, it is, you know, th- that extortion can be easier in some ways than the actual encryption. What are we seeing in, in terms of law enforcement here? Are they upping their efforts to fight this? So I think it's interesting what we've seen so far this year. And, and to me, this is a I think it's a new strategy. I, I don't know for sure. We see law enforcement going not after the main ransomware actors, but going after their affiliates. So when mm-hmm. when the uh, net, so we already talked about a Gregor, when the Netwalker infrastructure was taken down, uh, uh, was seized earlier this year, they also arrested an affiliate, uh, a Canadian living in living in Florida and then for Soda Nakibi, just a couple weeks ago, uh, they arrested an affiliate in South Korea. Um, and I think the idea is you go after the affiliates and use the affiliates to gain access to the, the main threat actors. Because there's a lot of information that's shared between affiliates and threat actors. And some of the main threat actors are not as good at OPSEC as they think they are. And hmm. so there may be information that can be gleaned by the affiliates. So I think if we're, I think we may see more of that from law enforcement. Um, at the very least, if you can scare off affiliates, you're taking away a big part of the revenue stream of the uh, ransomware threat actors. 
Right, right. A good thing to have these folks uh, feeling like they need to be looking over their shoulders. Absolutely. Our thanks to Recorded Futures' Alan Liska for once again joining us. Don't forget to sign up for the Recorded Future Cyber Daily email, where every day you'll receive the top results for trending technical indicators that are crossing the web. Cyber news, targeted industries, threat actors, exploited vulnerabilities, malware, suspicious IP addresses, and much more. You can find that at recordedfuture.com slash intel. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. The Recorded Future podcast production team includes coordinating producer Caitlin Mattingly. The show is produced by The Cyberwire with executive editor Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Thank you.